Hello, everyone. I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Welcome to the Betting Pros Podcast brought to you by BetMGM, where you can get a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 when you use the highly original promo code BETTINGPROS with your first deposit. All right, here with me to talk NFL Week 11 market movement and power ratings is Austin Gale of The Ringer, formerly of PFF. Austin, it has been a wild NFL season so far. How's it going for you? Fantastic. I think uh, parity makes the analysis harder, I guess, right? And I think it leads to more pressure. You know, I do a power rankings file for the ringer every single week where you're trying to evaluate team strength, right? Team power, power rating, but every single fan just wants it necessarily to be like a reflection of standings, right? It's my team has more wins. Why am I not? You know, the why aren't the Minnesota Vikings the number two team in the NFL behind the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, they're not as good as the Buffalo Bills. And if that they played that game again in Minnesota, I think they'd be underdogs. If they played that game in Buffalo, they'd be bigger underdogs on a neutral field. Say the Vikings and the Bills played in the Super Bowl, they'd be underdogs. That's what we're trying to determine with power rankings. If you want to look at standings, go look at standings, right? Like Vikings fans, I don't understand it, right? It's like fans of teams, like if you're happy about where your team's success is, just go look at the standings and be like, wow, that's really cool. The Vikings are number two in the NFL and win in wins this year or standings. But going to a power rankings, I don't I don't understand why you'd ever put the Vikings at number two right now, even after obviously a big head-to-head win over Buffalo. Yeah, this is uh, maybe getting a little more kind of like philosophical, but I think people go to power ratings primarily so that they can complain. Like that, that's yes. just, that's part of it, you know, because your point, it's not meant to be reflective of standings. It's meant to be reflective of what these teams are. And, you know, it's not as if it's even like, uh, like the difference of like, oh, your team – isn't number one in the power ratings because strength of schedule, although that's part of it. It's also like the way in which they've won games, like the luck factor Mm -hmm. that needs to be taken into account. But can you talk a little bit about what it is that you consider when you are creating your power ratings? Because everyone has a a different way of doing it. Uh, what, What do you take into account? At the bottom of the list is, is wins, and at, right. somewhere below that is head-to-head wins, right? The Washington Commanders last night beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Are the Commanders a better team than the Eagles? No. Like, you don't – this isn't the college football playoff where there's this arbitrary determiner of who goes to the playoffs where they're determining wins, where they fa- or determining who goes, where they're factoring in wins first, right? It's like, who has the most wins? Those are going to be the top teams. And then from there, if they have equal records, they're determining from head-to-head wins and then other player strengths and stuff as well. In determining team power and who is the best team in the NFL and who are the strongest teams in the NFL teams you should bet on to win the Super Bowl, I think a common expression I use, some people will say, okay, between these two teams, who would be favored on a neutral field? And at that point, you're trying to determine markets and what odds makers see. And some of, sometimes what's factored in for odds makers is say valuing a team that they know gets bet on pretty heavily, regardless of there's different things that go. What I look at is if you gave me a hundred bucks, you gave me a hundred bucks to bet on this team to, to win the Super Bowl, and you'd win a hundred bucks in return. Would you rather bet on the bills or would you rather bet on the Vikings? I am betting on the bills every single time, right? Like you are betting on the bills for a hundred to hundred. So even odds, right? Even mm-hmm. odds. Are you taking the Vikings or the bills to win the Super Bowl right now? You'd be insane to take anything but anything but the Buffalo Bills in that situation. That is the better football team. That is the team more fit to win deep in the postseason. Other factors that land to that, why are they better than the football team? They have the better quarterback. They have the better offense. They have a more efficient defense. Like You factor in all these other layers. It starts with quarterback. Which quarterbacks elevate their offenses? Which quarterbacks are at the tops of the league in CPOE composite and EPA per play and avoiding turnovers and some of these things that – we know are sticky week to week and sticky over a two game, three game sample size, say in the playoffs and avoid 
quarterbacks or offenses that are overly dependent on converting long third downs or have a really high regress bounce regress red zone efficiency like that that's where you look at these teams and, and evaluate okay because what you're trying to determine with me is which team can survive a two three game you know three game sample to go to the super bowl right mm-hmm. and i think those are the teams that are stickier week to week with the better offenses the more efficient defenses and all that stuff. but defense isn't even something i'm looking at until after quarterback after offensive line after you're know, receiving talent and, and even like scheme and offense like defense is so right. volatile it's right. so so injury prone like you have, you have the buffalo bills one of the top defenses in the nfl you can lose a couple of players and that defense completely changes in how they approach things so a lot of it is focused on the offense because that is what is controlled that's offensive scheme how they're maximizing talent and all that stuff and eventually you get boil it down to this question is you know you're getting you're getting a hundred bucks to bet even money on this team to win the super bowl who are you taking right now and i'm taking the bills i'm taking the bills over the minnesota vikings even after obviously the vikings won on the road in what was a incredible game by the Vikings, by Justin Jefferson, by uh, Patrick Peterson. Still, if you play that game 10 times, Buffalo Bills are favored in every single one. I think the Bills were more. You mentioned defense and how it's pretty low on the list. And, and I, I agree with you. Uh, like, I agree with you 100%. And you just have to think about a team like the Denver Broncos, maybe the best defense in the league. And it, exactly. it doesn't matter because their offense is trash and their their quarterback isn't the guy they hoped he would be. Um it is interesting, though. I, I, I want to not push back, but explore this a little further. So the idea that defense doesn't matter uh, or, or doesn't matter as much as a lot of other factors. And it feels like that is the case. Uh, statistically, historically, that is the case. A lot of sharp people, people would say that's the case. This is a weird year, though. And yeah. unders have crushed this year. And underdogs have done particularly well this year. And, you know, normally I think like if an underdog is doing well, defense tends to be a component of that. Uh, and so it is this weird year where maybe, maybe defense matters a little bit more than it has in previous seasons. Well, my response to that, and I think maybe this is me sticking to my priors too much, but my response to that is that we have had less elite quarterback play this year. Yes. And that maybe maybe that's a reflection of defenses being better and defenses being quote unquote back. And we've seen, I think over the last five years, five years ago in 2017, teams playing too high pre-snap look, which isn't always cover two, but often is cover two or quarters. You're seeing that on early down shift from 17% of the time to 44% of the time over the last five years. It wasn't a significant jump from last year, but over time, you're seeing defenses limit passing and limit explosives or yeah. try to limit explosives by the shift in more guys back there, more guys back there so we can run cover two, which is harder to throw against and run quarters and all that stuff, not just stick to man coverages, not, stick to, not just stick to cover one and cover three. That has led to quarterbacks having to adapt how they play the game. You compare to what Patrick Mahomes is doing in 2018 to what he's doing now, it's night and day, right? Offenses have to change. Quarterbacks have to change. There are only two quarterbacks in the league right now even capable of changing with it, right? It's Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Everyone else, even the, you know, the powers that be, like Tom Brady is struggling with, with, with this change. Aaron Rodgers and, and his supporting cast is struggling. Even Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, in a vacuum by themselves, are not the elite talents that Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are. And I think that's led to more unders. That's led to defense is maybe mattering a bit more, but I think it's honestly the league is bereft of elite quarterback talent. Like it was with the heights of Roethlisberger, Brady, Rogers, Manning, like, you know, five, six years ago when, you know, the top of the NFL had probably four or five quarterbacks you'd say are really, really good elevators of their offenses. 
I honestly think there are two quarterbacks in the NFL, three. There's three quarterbacks in the NFL actually elevating offenses every single week. That is Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen. And we've even seen with Lamar Jackson struggle to finish games and close out games because of you know, the, 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 the talent that he doesn't have offensively. Rashad Bateman missing time. Mark Andrews missing time. The offensive line injured. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, I still think, are top 10 quarterbacks in this league, but are at a point where they're unable to almost consistently elevate the offense above their means because of age and, and, and not being as talented as they were, say, three, four, five years ago. Now, Brady, I think, is in a better position than Rodgers is. I think Rodgers has played a bit worse, but still, you're seeing it with these quarterback talent falling off. I, it, it's, yes, saying defenses are maybe more valuable and maybe should be factored more into power ratings. I also I think it's that supporting cast and coaching staff needs to be you know, factored in. It used to be like better quarterback getting points, let's go. Or better quarterback, better quarterback. It's now, do they have Mike McDaniel? Do they have uh, a Shanahan on that side? Do they have someone that is maximizing, like uh, Nick Sirianni and Shane Striken, like actually elevating an offense with the players? That is what, what I think is more important. You're looking at around the league, the 11, I'm calling them the 11 personnel merchants struggling to adapt to an increase in quarters and cover two and too high, where you know, you know, Zach Taylor, Sean McVay are two offenses specifically that live out of 11 personnel, right? Like run 11 personnel and um, we'll try and stay within that and have speed at the receiver, not have tight ends, not have fullbacks on the football field and have speed, 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 spread things out. And defenses are catching up because they're literally catering defenses to stop that. Defenses are saying, wait, if you're going to run 11 personnel all the time, we're going to run nickel, we're going to run dime, and we're going to have two safeties back and we're not going to let you explode. Now, when you look at the tops of the NFL, Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles, Shane Stryker specifically, Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, teams that know how to run 12, 20, 21, 22, 13, run these different personnel groupings and call it mix and match, having fullbacks like a use check or an out Ingold, those are the offenses that are the best in the league because they can come out in 22, run the football down your throat, and then come out and again and spread everybody out. Two tongue of my low is an empty. You're like, wait a second, I got Sion, Taki Taki, Jalen Waddle now. I'm screwed. So I do think that the league is changing and that you have to be multiple from a personnel grouping standpoint and you have to be elevating your quarterback in ways and giving him easy offense with pre-snap motion and open throws, all that stuff. And that's forced, you know, the best quarterbacks in the league and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, and these other guys to adjust and react. And maybe they're not, not in positions to do so like Mahomes and Josh Allen are. All right. So uh, a few thoughts here. Um, one, you mentioned Mahomes and Josh Allen. And, you know, I think in a way, Mahomes had to learn this lesson last year, like the lesson that everyone else in the league is learning this year. He learned it yeah. last year. And in some way the, the chiefs were ahead of the curve and thinking about, okay, we need to learn how to beat this defense. What is the way for us to do it? And you mentioned at first two quarterbacks, and then you amended to three. I might want to amend it to four and it, it feels okay. so weird to say it fields. He feels like uh -huh. the one guy, just because he's got that Lamar-esque type of, of running cheat code where you have a defense and it feels like it might be working against him. And then all of a sudden he, he breaks like a, a 2019 Lamar style 60 yard run. And it doesn't matter what you're doing on defense. We need to see him develop. They need to put more weapons around him, but he might have the type of talent where he's able in a different way than Mahomes or Allen, but he's able in a different way to be able to answer the challenge that is posed by the defenses we're seeing in the league today. And then one more thing, your, your point about it's maybe not so much the defense as it is a lack of quality quarterback play. 
that's really similar to what Brady said, I think five weeks mm-hmm. ago, like he was asked the question, you know, what are you seeing? He's like a lot of bad football. And like, people thought he was kind of being snarky or something. I don't think he was, he was just saying like, yeah. you know, like a lot of teams haven't been playing their best football to start the year. And we've kind of, we've seen that this year. And I think it is, it's a, it's a lack of elite quarterback play. Teams on both sides of the ball have built their rosters to get faster run more 11 personnel and and throw the ball more. And you look at Cleveland, one of the skinniest, lightest defenses in the NFL getting absolutely gashed on the ground against a complex run scheme that Mike McDaniel's leading in Miami and teams that have found ways creatively with these smaller, faster personnel groupings to run the football effectively are having more success because defense are trying to stop the pass. They're saying we're running, we're running too high on 40% of early downs. If you can go back and watch that Buffalo Bills game, and how often they're unable to run the football against like five, six man boxes. That's a problem. Like if you, if you can't run the football against light boxes, teams are going to stay back, run those two high coverages and force the best quarterbacks in the league to target the short and intermediate levels of the football field. You talk about how Patrick Mahomes has kind of adapted and changed. I, I love this stat so much. According to true media in 2021, Patrick Mahomes throwing five to 15 yards downfield, that middle area of the football field, ranked 23rd in EPA per attempt. This year, he's first by a country mile. That's how the offense has changed. It's, it's adding this mid-range shot that leagues, that, that teams need to have against two high coverages to have efficient offense. He's averaging 0.7 EPA per attempt when targeting that area of the football field. That is banana land. That is absurd and a dramatic improvement, almost 3x of what he was doing last year. Quarterbacks un- incapable of targeting that area of the football field without putting the ball in harm's way, cough, cough, Josh Allen, are struggling. And a lot of those quarterbacks are struggling. And when you have Patrick Mahomes, you can say, hey, what if you just targeted this part of the football field because you have crazy arm talent and good decision-making and all that stuff? Like, yeah, that's working. For other offenses, it's like we need to run the ball better on early downs against side boxes. We need to run more pre-snap motion, create more mismatches, add more positionless players. Obviously, like what the Miami Dolphins and you know San Francisco 49ers do, we have to do things differently. I think because they have Andy Reid and because they have Patrick Mahomes, they have the cheat code and that they were able to do it really successfully and now have the top offense in the NFL. Other offenses that are catching on, that's the Eagles. That's obviously Mike McDaniel in the Miami Dolphins. And I would argue that the San Francisco 49ers are up there too. And that, yes, we have Jimmy Garoppolo, but we're going to find ways to get the ball to our playmakers and have them cook after the catch. The 49ers receivers ranked first in yards after the catch per reception, not just because they do a good job of rostering those type of players. Juwan Jennings, who was a forgotten receiver on that team, was one of the best yak players at Tennessee really in college over the last three years. And he's adding for that offense. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. Obviously, you have George Kittle, one of the best yak tight ends over the last five years. Kyle Juszczyk. And you bring in Christian McCaffrey, who has yards after the catch over expected at a rate that next-gen stats is like almost breaking their um, formula. So I do think that the 49ers get it, right? You see these co- coaches and offenses that actually get it and adapt the offenses, not just to their personnel. It's not just saying, I have Jalen Hurts, what should this offense be? Or I have Tua Tagovailoa, what should this offense be? It's like, I have Tua Tagovailoa, and I know it, this is where defenses are going. And being able to zig to that zag is where the tops of the league are. All right. So you have an article that comes out uh, each week on your power rankings, updating it, listing one through 32, how it is that you view all of the teams in the NFL at this given moment. Uh, And so you've published that for week 11. And uh, I want to kind of talk about it a little bit, you know, and I, I have power ratings too. Um, you know, mine, I'm, I'm like assigning a number, you know, like, you know, on a yeah. the theoretical number on a neutral field, this team is, uh, you know, five points better 
than your average team. Uh, and so the teams that have moved up for me uh, significantly since last week, the Colts, in part because, you know, Matt Ryan has returned to the lineup. We weren't really expecting that last week yes. when I was, when I was ra- ranking these teams. Uh, and maybe the Jeff Saturday experiment isn't quite the disaster I thought it would be. Although, you know, that's very TBD. Uh, the Packers bumped them up, you know, a, a big win against a tough Dallas Cowboys team. Uh, and then the Steelers have bumped them up a little bit, uh, primarily because you have TJ Watt returning. You know, that juices yeah. your defense quite a bit. And uh, if they don't have that defense working, they don't really have much uh, of anything. But those are the teams that I've moved up significantly since last week. Do you have thoughts on any of those teams? I see Colts and Packers, you've bumped up your rankings. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the Colts and Packers. I think Colts, not because – Jeff Saturday has come in and, and, and banged, you know, banged his you know, fist hard enough for this Colts team to play better across the board. It's He subbed out a bad quarterback for a good one. I, I still didn't understand why Matt Ryan was benched in the first place. Like Matt Ryan, from a clean pocket before he was benched, was top 10 in EPA per play. I think he was eight. Yeah. When he was pressured, he was the worst in the NFL. And maybe that's why they thought Sam Ellinger could help. But like, no quarterback is good under pressure. You're like, Matt Ryan sucks when he's under pressure. So does Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger was awful under pressure and did not elevate the offense when he was pressured. And he was terrible when he was kept clean. Matt Ryan going against a Raiders defense that only one player on that team can consistently create pressure, and that's Max Crosby, had more success. And then Jonathan Taylor was back and healthy and obviously had success in that game as well. So, like, Jeff Saturday, tip your cap to coming in on what was a short week for him, going from an ESPN set to a locker room and, and, and rallying the troops. You heard him in that post-game presser, or not post-game presser, post-game speech to his players. He's like, what were the keys? He's like, we limited 28. That's Josh Jacobs for the Raiders. Only had like 70 yards or whatever it was. We won the matchup with, with Devontae Adams and Stephon Gilmore when it mattered at the end, which is like, okay, that's a key to a game. Don't give up a touchdown when you have to, whatever. Like, he's saying all the things right as a new coach in a locker room and leading men and having people fired up. The biggest difference was not having Sam Ellinger in that game. If Sam right. Ellinger starts against the Raiders, I think they lose. Like, that's just, yeah. that's just a fact. Like, the quarterback matters so much. So I'm moving the Colts up too, not necessarily because of this Jeff Saturday-led fire, but because, holy shit, they're going to have a better quarterback playing, like, like two degrees better than right. what Sam Ellinger was. Yeah. And, and with the Packers. You saw them more run on. You saw them run more under center, which I think is a huge win and something that Aaron Rodgers I don't think likes to do. But doing that and having success with it, I think will lead the Packers doing it more. And Christian Watson, who was going into this year like some of the worst ball skills of any draft prospect we've seen. Even talking to his head coach at North Dakota State, he's like the biggest thing he has to improve is he has to catch the ball better. And you see it on that first drive, him dropping footballs. Worst parts of the season, him dropping footballs. It wasn't flying. He can create separation. He's fast and he's big. Bit, size and speed is everything in this league. And he can create separation because of it. If he catches the football consistently, he'll have games like that. So I think that you're buying it with Christian Watson. You're buying it with an offense slightly tweaking what it has to do to win more football games. Now I'm ranking them and I'm ranking them higher in power ratings. They're still four and six in an NFC playoff race that seems all but locked up. The Giants and the Cowboys and the Seahawks would have to have like a legitimate collapse to lose out on the playoffs with a two-game lead over the Packers right now. And the last team I'll bring up is a team that I think is I'm going to move up. <laughs> it's a team we talked about a little bit, but it's the Chiefs. Like the Chiefs, an offensive EPA per, per drive are double the second ranked team in the NFL. Like this offense is good, would be an understatement. And this, this offense is best in the league, is an understatement. It is doing better than any other offense is consistently. And you want to say the Bills are good. They're two or three. The Dolphins are right there with them, too. Like they've had a lot of success in recent weeks. Like Tua Tungabaloa is what? Three touchdown passes, no picks in the last three games. Like they are playing with a lot of 
know, they're having a lot of success. The Chiefs are better by a significant, significant degree. And that, for me, you look at them going against the Chargers, which I know is a divisional game, which I know is in a primetime spot. A lot of people looking to potentially bet the Chargers at plus six, plus six and a half. I don't know. This, this Kansas City team is different. And when you look at the Chargers defense, they can't stop a nosebleed. It, it's, it's, one of the, it's, again, one of the worst run defenses in the NFL and still struggling also to you know, limit explosives in the passing game. So I, I, I like the Chiefs a lot. I, I moved them up a bit. I, I think that the Chiefs are legit, legit Super Bowl contenders. And now that they have you know, the, the clear path to the first seed in the AFC, yep. potentially securing that, potentially securing that you know, first round bye, which is uber, uber important in betting odds. Like if you have the first seed versus the second seed, it is a night and day in terms of your prospects of getting to the Super Bowl. Winning two games to go there versus winning three is a big difference. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that that uh, Chiefs uh, Chargers game in a little bit. I'm with you on the Chiefs in that. Um, I I mean I haven't moved them up that much, but that's because I already started the season with them pretty high. Like I was higher than uh, a lot of the market on the Chiefs and had them closer to that Buffalo Bills tier. Like a lot of people had sort of like the Bills tier break, Chiefs and other people, and I I pretty much always had it as a group of two, and I still have it as a group of two, except now it's a very tight group of two. Like the Chiefs are now uh, right there with the Bills. And honestly, I maybe been a little bit slow to bump the Bills down in the rankings. Um, but I still think the Bills are probably the best team in the league. Um, but man, everything you said about the Chiefs is right. The Chiefs are right there with them. Uh, teams that I've moved down. I mean, you know, talked about bumping the Colts up got to bump the Raiders down. I mean, by yeah. the way, spe- <laughs> speaking of the Raiders, I got to do the plug here. Speaking of the Raiders, we're giving away a free signed Josh Jacobs Raiders jersey from Pristine Auction. If you want a chance to win it, subscribe to the Betting Pros YouTube channel right now and comment below on the video. We will announce a winner on the channel in a future episode. So turn on your notifications. The Raiders, man, if you cannot beat, if you are a head coach, a professional head coach, and you cannot beat an ESPN analyst coming in on a short week, with an offensive play caller who's never called plays at any level, you uh, should probably be fired. And it would not be a surprise if that happens to Josh McDaniels at some point this year. Uh, I think it would be a minor miracle if he makes it through the entire season. But, man, uh, I, I have to downgrade the Raiders in a very significant fashion. And that's just sort of like the coaching. Uh, that doesn't really even take into account that your defense, especially pass defense, one of the worst units in the league. Uh, so downgraded the Raiders, downgraded the Rams. That was even before news of Cooper Cup going on IR. So definitely going to downgrade them some more. Uh, and then the Falcons, which that's probably more of just a little bit like a, I might have been a little bit too high on you, but like your defense is bad, especially when you don't have yeah. your number one cornerback and your number two cornerback is on IR. Like you really have nothing going for you on the defensive side of the ball, especially in pass defense which is the the part of defense that matters the most. So yeah. uh, pretty pretty big downgrade. Like if you can't beat the the Panthers, whom I have no respect for, uh, I, I need to downgrade you. So those are the teams that I've moved down the most. Uh, I'm looking here, Raiders and Rams. I see that you've moved it, them down. Uh, and then also the Broncos, which I, I can't disagree with you there. <laughs> for the Raiders, I do think that it would be a minor miracle for Raiders fans if Josh McDaniels is fired because the the, the problem is, and I, I'm from Oakland, California. I've been a Raiders fan for almost too long. I had season tickets with my dad for 10 years. Like The problem is, is that Mark Davis is notably one of the, if not the yes. poorest owner in the NFL. And right. he's likely he's likely still paying John Gruden whatever 
settlement he came to when he resigned, obviously, uh, when he violated the NFL policy, all that stuff that happened. So he's still playing John Gruden and bringing in Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels as objectively a pairing, right? You don't fire one. I don't think you can. Like, I think you have to, they are a pairing. Moving on from them would be an insane buyout at this point. Like, he would have to pay more money for another coach that isn't coaching his football team again if he did move on from Josh McDaniels. So am I surprised that Mark Davis has already told you know, people and, and sources are out from The Athletic that Josh McDaniels isn't going anywhere? Am I surprised that he's saying, quote, unquote, he's doing a fantastic job? No, because that would admit two things. One, Mark Davis has done a terrible job at hiring coaches. Like, awful. Like, terrible. Sure. Two, he'd have to pay a load of money to do it. Like, he's like, yeah, yeah he's doing a fantastic job. Because if I have to fire him, I'm going to pay him like $20 million to coach for another team and him be a special assistant on the Patriots, just like Matt Patricia. People don't bring that up enough. The reason Matt Patricia is not an offensive coordinator is because in the contract file with the Lions, it said if he got a coordinator yes. or a coaching position, he could pay more. That's what's happening. So like yes. McDaniels would go get some fairy tale position with the Patriots and go collect cash money from Mark Davis if he gets fired. So Josh McDaniels knows, and Dave Ziegler knows, that their jobs are safe. The problem is, is someone's going to have to pay for this, right? And I think what's, what's going to happen wrongfully in Las Vegas is that Derek Carr, no. potentially even Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams went to Las Vegas to play with Derek Carr. Now it's crazy talk, almost ridiculous to assume that some monster package trade could happen with Carr and Adams as a bargain deal. But I don't know. Like Devontae Adams says the effort and the buy-in is bad. Derek Carr is crying in a press conference, but I've never seen him do right. at saying the effort and buy-in is bad. Josh McDaniel says, I don't have any problems with the effort. That's disconnect. And if you have disconnect between your two best players, Carr and Adams, in my opinion, there could be a situation where Carr and Adams aren't playing for the Raiders in 2023 and they move on from Darren Waller who can't get healthy or maybe doesn't want to be healthy for this team. They move on from um, you know, Chandler Jones after signing this big deal. Like they could do a lot of things because Ziegler and McDaniels aren't, and Mark Davis aren't willing to admit that, Hey, the problem is me, not the players. And that could just lead to more disaster for a Raiders franchise that just flat out doesn't deserve it. I'm saying that to my dad. My dad does not deserve this. He's been a Raiders fan too long to see just more of this disaster. So yeah, of course you're moving them down. You're going to have, after the public statements that Mark Davis and Josh McDaniels made, disagreeing with Carr and Adams, I think you're going to have more fallout, right? Vic Tafer of The Athletic uh, reported this recently in a piece saying, Josh McDaniels is doing longer meetings, longer practices, and quote-unquote having team officials scour the players' social media. You're wondering why Blake Martinez, the team's leading tackler against the Jaguars, retired after that game? Do you wonder why? Like, obviously. Like, go listen to the I Am Athlete podcast with Brandon Marshall, who played for Josh yes. McDaniels yes. on that 6-0 run, and was like, hey, we went 6-0, and and then after, we lost a ton of games because they found out we were cheating and had people's practice film. Like, like, there's a lot of red flags. There's a lot of things that have shown that Josh McDaniels maybe isn't it and doesn't have it, especially losing to an ESPN analyst on a Sunday where you're favorite at home by 6.5. But... It could lead to more disaster if Mark, Mark Davis isn't willing to part ways with this regime and would rather watch Adams, Carr, Waller, Crosby, Jones, some of these guys that they have, walk out the door. Other teams I have low, I think the Rams, you have to drop the Rams. I wouldn't be surprised if they proverbial the proverbial punt on the season happens with Cooper Cup on the IR, Matthew Stafford battling an injury. Why not? Not necessarily tank, because obviously you can't take in the NFL, you get stripped of picks, but like, why not? Get healthy. Call it that. That's the positive way. Get healthy. Get Cooper Cup healthy. Get Matthew Stafford healthy. Get the offensive line healthy. And start Wolford for the rest of the year and avoid more catastrophe. I, I, I think that's something that they could lean. Because Solak, Benjamin Solak, who's an analyst here at the ringer, I think is smart to analyze. It was smart to highlight. Sean McVay was mulling retirement last year. Aaron Donald was mulling retirement last year. And if you have some of those players go, how committed are some of these other players to, to being a part of a rebuilding team? 
in the NFL. I don't know. It, it would be interesting to see a team lose McVay or lose Aaron Donald in the offseason. I think ownership has to do whatever they can to make sure McVay and Donald stay. And I think that could be getting healthy, punting on season, getting a higher draft pick, and moving forward uh, on to 2023. But we'll see. I don't know what they'll do. The last team I'll mention is, again, the Broncos. I think the Broncos are at a point now where the offense is so bad and so inefficient that I think you're going to see Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett down the stretch making short-term decisions to – or specifically Hackett making short-term decisions to kind of save his job, which I think could lead to handing the keys of the offense completely to Russell Wilson and missing changing a lot, or just making radical or irrational changes to the offense to try and show signs of life that ultimately lead to worse things. So the offense is so bad in Denver that I think the stat is if they scored 18 or more points – in every game this year, they'd be eight and one. That is disgusting. And I don't think it's getting any better. Jerry Duty battling an injury. Cortland Sutton, I think, is struggling uh, as this just go ball target, right? Like people are like in the offseason, oh man, Cortland Sutton and Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is only show, throwing like back shoulder goal balls in this offense. Like there's nothing over the middle, there's nothing on the deep dig. And that is concerning. And I think ultimately limiting his production as well. I don't like this Broncos team right now. I, I think that the Raiders, who we just talked about, as this team that we're dropping are two and a half point favorites for the Broncos this week. That and or no, they're two and a half point dogs on the road. But still, I wouldn't count out the Raiders in that game either because both those teams are bad. I know it's it's a game. I looked at that and my my numbers showed some value on the Raiders, and it was just like I can't do it. Like I need <laughs> I need to adjust my numbers, but there's no way I can adjust because both of these teams are are bad. And it's not just that the Broncos are bad. They're injured, significantly injured on offense. And, and you have to wonder if they have their starting left tackle, their starting right tackle, their starting center, right? If if Tim Patrick hadn't uh you know destroyed his leg in the yeah. in the preseason, right? You just have to wonder if they were fully healthy, how this team might be different. You know, the thing is, my feeling is it might not be that different because Russell Wilson no. is who he is. So there are all of these other things that could that can help explain and kind of contextualize what's happening with the Broncos. But in the end, I think it's the core problem of you've got this head coach, you've got this quarterback on their own separately. Both of them might be kind of overrated anyway. And then you put them together and it's, it's just like not working at all. Uh, they're just, they're not compatible in the way that people imagine they would be. If the Broncos were, I, this is becoming one of my like least favorite things that I think we talk about too much. Not you specifically, but like the media in general. It's like injuries. All there, every team is hurt. Like like every single week, we're like, oh man, if, if Justin Herbert had this, you know, this, this, and this, or Russell Wilson had this, this, and this, or uh, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers had his starting left tackle, or Dave, but every team is hurt. You know who's hurt? The Dan Daniel Jones, Brian Dayball led Giants, who like true. Yeah. legitimately are starting receivers that I. Yeah, never heard of. Like, I don't even know who these guys are and still finding ways to win football games and have success offensively. Now, they have injuries along the offensive line. Daniel Bellinger, the starting tight end, former Aztec, legitimately, like, had his eye punched out. And they were starting, like, backup, backup tight ends and still are – like, it's easy to make the injury excuse. Every team is hurt. Now, more teams are hurt than others, and I, I understand that. But, like, the problem in – Denver and the problem in some of these other inefficient offenses, Los Angeles, et cetera, is not injuries. It is you did not go into the season with enough to overcome what you have. And I think Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson have an obvious, obvious disconnect in offensive philosophy that they'll never say this. The Denver Broncos got Nathaniel Hackett to potentially lure Aaron Rodgers. And when they didn't, they went and got another big name quarterback that is not Aaron Rodgers. And yeah. that has led to 
disconnect in offensive philosophy. You have at times Nathaniel Hackett throwing Russell Wilson under the bus. You have Russell Wilson throwing Hackett under the bus. Like there is a mess in Denver, and it starts with that disconnect between the coaching coach and quarterback. The problem is, is Russell Wilson, the money that you're paying him counts against the cap, and you can't move on from him. Nathaniel Hackett doesn't. And if you have rich ownership, which obviously you have new ownership in Denver, new ownership's going to say, fuck it, like we don't need this guy, right? We're going to move on from Nathaniel Hackett. We thought he was a splash hire. He's not. And they're going to be looking at other coaches potentially available. They're going to be looking at D'Amico Ryans or say Sean Payton rumors start to swirl up. They're going to be looking at another big name to come in and actually mirror what Russell Wilson wants to do offensively. Now, is that a good offense? Who knows? But it's at least one that your star quarterback that you're paying like what, $250 million likes to run. And that's ultimately what you're going to have to do when you're, when you're that cash connected to him over the next few years. Yeah. The Sean Payton thing in Denver is interesting. It would be hard for them to pull off because they don't have the picks or the immediate yeah. picks to trade to the saints because they traded those picks for Russell Wilson. So, you know, it, Sean Payton, that would maybe be interesting. I, you know, skeptical that it would happen, but I do think he, you know, his name will be floated in connection with a lot of teams. I, I think pretty soon. Uh, okay. I want to look at I have, something. I have one yeah. thing on that. I have one thing on that. So, I, I am really, really excited. Talking about things I don't like talking about. I was like how teams are hurt. Every team's hurt. I'm really, really excited in the media to start talking about the Sean Payton trade value. Cause we just saw Jeff Saturday <laughs> from ESPN. Yeah. And when he gave in Indianapolis, you're telling me Sean Payton's worth two first round picks. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm not trading significant capital if I'm Denver when I can maybe look at, I don't know, uh, Shannon Sharp or, <laughs> I don't know, like someone else to come in and be like the rah-rah guy for the team and we go RG3. find something that can actually. Because, like, is Sean Payton not going to run an offense that Russell Wilson wants to run? I don't know. I'd be worried. If Denver's like, yeah, we're going to trade, like, two future first-round picks and go bring in Sean Payton, that is a scary proposition in a league where we just saw maybe the number two or third chair on get up lead a Colts team to a win over the Raiders on the road. I don't know, man. I think trading a lot of capital for Peyton might be a, a, a costly endeavor. Yeah. We're, <laughs> uh, we're just a year away from uh, Peter Schrager being a, a head coach and uh, yeah. you know, skip, skip Bayless. He might end up getting a job. <laughs> okay. All right. So I want to, I want to hit on some of the games that we have coming up this week and look at some of the line movement and kind of think about what this means. And you mentioned Lamar Jackson earlier and this this Ravens game uh they are hosting the Panthers in the offseason market this number was five and a half or six it opened at 12 and a half in the Thursday look ahead market was still 12 and a half in the Sunday early market and it's moved to 12 on the news that Baker Mayfield is going to be starting instead of PJ Walker but uh man I gotta say I look at this and it feels like to me this number probably isn't big enough because I have Zero respect for the Panthers uh, and quite a bit of respect for the Ravens. Also coming off of the bye, uh, a very long bye for them. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think about what do you think about this game and the movement that we've seen in the market? Yeah, I think that knowing Baker Mayfield is starting over PJ Walker, I think on paper, evaluating if you if you're inputting the successes of the two quarterbacks into an algorithm or a model it's going to spit out a similar number. I, I do think that PJ Walker elevates the offense maybe more than what, what, what models will see in some of the data that to me has me thinking that the number may be too small, especially on the road. And yes, the Ravens have the edge in rest, but Carolina Panthers are coming off a long week as well. Obviously playing on Thursday night. So it's not like as dire as it is on the team playing on Sunday for me, the reason, the hesitancy I had to like lay 
Baltimore minus 12 or lay Baltimore minus 12 and a half is I do have faith in the Panthers run defense. Derek Brown, Brian Burns, Frankie Louvu, those guys, Matt Ioannidis, those guys healthy, they are very good, you know, uh, front. And, and they, they, I think, can limit what the Baltimore Ravens want to do running the football. Now, limit Lamar Jackson, he still might have 150 yards. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's still tough to, to do that. I think that offensively, though, I don't know if Baker Mayfield-led Carolina Panthers have the horses to go toe-to-toe with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. I think I probably ultimately stay away from this game. I, I don't see significant value in laying a full 12 and a half of the Baltimore Ravens. Um, but if I had to lean aside, I, I, I think Baltimore is the easier team to bet. Yeah. So in this number, uh, currently 12 at BetMGM. Remember, at BetMGM, you can get the risk-free bet $1,000 when you use the promo code BETTINGPROS with your first deposit. All right, another game here that I want to look at. Uh, I talked about Justin Fields and how he potentially is a Lamar-esque type of cheat code at the quarterback position. In the offseason market, uh, this game between the Bears and the Falcons uh, in Atlanta very close to a pick em. Uh Falcons were favored by, you know, half a point to a point. In the look-ahead market, the Falcons were favored by four on Thursday. And that number just screamed to me. Like, I don't have a lot of respect, as I mentioned earlier, for the Falcons. And increasingly, I'm getting a ton of respect for Justin Fields. And so this number was four in the look-ahead market. It opened at three Sunday night. Uh, after we saw the uh, the Bears and a game the Bears lost, by the way, um, but you know that number still came towards them, and it is increasingly uh, in the market starting to move towards uh, towards Chicago here. Like it would not surprise me if we saw this move through the key number of three and uh, hit two and a half at some point. What do you think of this number and the uh, the movement that we've seen here? I think getting Chicago at plus three right now is a win. You know, if it does move, if it, if it does continue to move toward Chicago and the Falcons get to two and a half, you're going to be upset that you didn't get it, the number at three. I think you can see three in some markets right now. For me, you had the Falcons as someone that you're downrating. I, I don't know if I, I think in prime time, everyone wants to say the Falcons should be starting Desmond Ritter and Mar- Marcus Mariota was awful. Marcus Mariota has not been horrendous this year. I think there are some plays that he'd like to have back. And especially that one where he was getting sacked and looked like he was going to throw and some of this stuff is up, but like this offense has still had success running the football. The offensive line has far exceeded expectations. Caleb McGarry, the right tackle is like playing well in pass protection and, you know, and blocking. Well, it's a testament to betting on big athletes to develop over three or four years. Like I like this Atlanta Falcons offense more than what their prime time showing was against Carolina Panthers. And I think, Justin Fields breaking records, running the football versus the Atlanta Falcons looking like dog shit in primetime is going to have this number continue to sway the Chicago Bears. But if it gets to two and a half, two, I think the value is squeezed out of Chicago. I honestly do. Like, I think Atlanta at home in a dome, I like the Falcons if this number does get to two and a half, two. At three, maybe with the key number and the push probability, you like Chicago from a value perspective. But I think Atlanta is getting a little bit underrated after a vile primetime showing where people are asking for Ritter to start over Mariota. My my interpretation of that is Arthur Smith was right to say, hey, we're not, you know, we're not benching Mariota because he's not giving up on the season. He's still mapping playoff scenarios in the locker room and, and wants this to be a playoff team in what is a winnable NFC South. I know the Buccaneers are, are having more success now and they have it, they've they've lost the edge. Uh, the Falcons have lost the edge in the NFC South, but still in Smith's head, he still thinks he can compete for the division title. He still thinks he can win the, go to the playoffs. As long as that's the case, Mariota, I do think is the better short-term answer for this football yep. team. Now, 
if ownership, say Arthur Blank, stepped in and said, hey, we're punting on this year. I want to see what we have in Ritter before I look at another quarterback. That would be a different story, right? That would be not necessarily punting on the season. I don't think going from Mariota to Ritter is a dramatic, dramatic drop-off, but I do think it's a drop-off. I think it's a yep. drop-off uh, from what Mariota has done and, and how he's led this football team. I think it's over. I think we're overreacting to um, how, how poorly he played on uh, in that primetime game. I, I, I like the Falcons if you can get the number two and a half. If it's a three with the push probability, maybe you lead Bears. I think that's how close this game is. Yeah, so I bet this in the look-ahead market at four and logged it in the Betting Pros app. Of course, here comes the plug. Uh, in the Betting Pros app, you can sync up with sportsbooks. You can get free betting advice and picks, track different experts, track live movement, track your own bets, and you get sports betting alerts. And we monitor all the major sportsbooks so you can see which book is offering the best line on a bet at any given moment. So download the app today in the Apple or Google Play Store. Okay, one game uh, I have to ask you about. We talked about the Colts earlier and how we've moved them up because they're starting Matt Ryan. Uh, and in your power rankings piece, you have the Eagles as the number one overall team. Some people might think it's a little bit spicy, especially after yeah. Monday night football. But, uh, you know, hey, I, I think I, I think you know one of the top three teams in the league for sure. So I, I think you can make a case for it. And their defense, very strong unit. So, you know, I can see it. Now we've got this game. In the offseason, I mean, of course, this number was going to be way different than what we see now. The Colts, of course, at home, were favored by three in the offseason. In the look-ahead market on Thursday, this number was 10.5. Wow. On, on Sunday, it opened at 8.5. And, and then after Monday Night Football, you have the Eagles losing to the Commanders. This number is six and a half. It has now dropped through the key number of seven. And I got to say, this feels like a massive overreaction to what we saw last week with the Colts winning a game where they were significant underdogs on the road and the Eagles losing a game in prime time against a divisional opponent in the second matchup of the year. This number feels so, so wrong. I am way off of this number. I see a ton of value on the Eagles here. I'm imagining you're in the same camp here, but what are your thoughts on this game? Definitely in the same camp. I, I think Eagles minus six and a half is the only side I'd be willing to play. Now I did say that about the Raiders when they were favored by six, five and a half all the way down yes. to four before Matt yes. and they end up winning. Now what I, what I don't think was obviously factored into the look ahead line when it was at like 10 and a half was, was Matt Ryan started. I think that, yes. cha- that is the biggest Correct. change. Now, per- yeah. perception of the Eagles after losing to the commanders and perception of the Colts after beating the Raiders is going to affect public spend, maybe backing the Colts, especially at home. What I think actually changes this number the most is that we know Sam Ellinger is not going to start and it is going to be Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor should be healthy. Is that worth getting under the key number seven? I don't know. And Eagles coming off a loss where I'm sure there are a lot of people in that locker room just absolutely disappointed, absolutely gutted at the missed calls, at the turnovers, at a rate that they legitimately – they haven't had more than one turnover in a game all year. They have three going in that game and they have three at the end of that game or, or six at the end of that game. My opinion is Eagles come out hot and get out to an early lead and win this game as they have the first eight games of the season against a bad coach team, a bad coach defense and an offense that before playing the Raiders was the worst in the NFL by a significant margin and offensive paper drive. Now, some of that was Ryan. Some of that was Ellinger. This offensive line is still bad. Like it, John, don't let a get right game against one of the worst, worst poorly run franchises in the NFL. Let you start betting the Colts as a six and a half point dog against the Eagles. Yes, they're at home. 
The fact that it's under at seven, maybe you're betting the Colts. At seven and a half, maybe you're betting the Colts. So eight and a half to ten and a half, I think those numbers were too big with Matt Ryan starting. Right. At at six and a half, the value's on the Eagles. And I, I'm surprised that you can still get that number now. Yeah. Uh absolutely unreal there. Okay, so one game. We're gonna close it out here. Thursday night football. We've got the Packers hosting the Titans. Uh, when I wrote it up in the outline, this number was two and a half. Uh, I mean, I bet it at two and a half because I was just like, look, okay, the Packers, I've moved them up. Aaron Rodgers at home. That's a, a historic spot where blindly I'm basically fine betting on him at home. Uh, this number is now three. And we've got the over under at 41. Do you have any opinion on this game? Because I got to say, like now I make it exactly three. I'm pretty close to the total. I don't really have much of an opinion except, you know, like I will probably look in the prop market where Derrick Henry going against a paper soft run defense for the Packers. That feels just like a total smash spot for Derrick Henry. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this game and how we might see it play out? I, I like the value of getting the Titans at plus three. I mean, one of the best coach teams in the NFL. Uh, I, and what Mike Rabel has done to maximize the value there. Uh, is really, really a sight to see. I mean, they were the number one seed in the AFC last year yeah. with a, with obviously they had AJ Brown and was a more talented team, but like this year, like they're not out of it. <laughs> I don't think they win the, the uh, first seed, but they're not out of it because of Mike Rabel and how well coached his team is. If you look on some markets have Derrick Henry's rushing prop at 98 and a half, almost a hundred yards for Derrick Henry in this game against what obviously is a very bad Green Bay Packers defense. I think like, the market is right to look at as this as a probable hundred yard game for Derrick Henry, because I think this Titans offense is going to be able to run the football and run play action against a bad Packers defense. Aaron Rodgers at home in Lambeau getting two and a half, getting three. I like the Titans here. I'm probably taking the Titans at plus three. I'm taking the Titans a little bit on the money line, at least a half unit. I, I like them going to Lambeau and playing spoiler on a short week. I think they're the better coach team. And I think for green Bay, as exciting as this win was over Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys, you know, McCarthy got outclassed, like outclassed in a revenge game for Aaron Rodgers. I think I don't think Brable does. Yes, it's on. Yes, it's on the road for the Titans. I think Derrick Henry has a huge day. I think Ryan Tannehill lives off play action, and the Packers dwindling hopes of making the postseason. I think two games back, many other team in the wildcard race in the NFC. I think they all but die uh, with, with the Titans off probably. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, I always feel a little bit hesitant taking a team against the Vrabel underdogs. You know, like Vrabel yes, as an yes. underdog. 21 and 12 against the spread for his career. Like there's just something about, about the team, the way that they play when uh, the chips are stacked against them where you, you can't count them out. So I can see it. Uh, I don't know. I was just, maybe I was buying a little too much into the hype. And since I was near the key number of three, I was like, all right, if I'm under it, I'm, I'm going to take it. But yeah, Rabel, I will say. I, I, the, I'm not, not going to doubt anybody who likes the Packers at minus two and a half at home, Aaron Rodgers. Like, yes, I'm, I'm in. Like, I think there's, there's a lot of reasoning to back that bet, but at three, I, yeah. I think there's more value on the Titans. You know, and I got to say, there's something with the Titans. Uh, there are particular teams, and the Titans are one of them, where they they have something that I think sort of escapes models. Uh, because if you look at, you know, like DVOA, you look at EPA, whatever it is you're looking at, this feels like a very average team. Uh, and yet, like, there are there are these intangible things where somehow they win games. They they play games very tight. Maybe it's like they they sort of play to the level of their opponent when they are playing really good teams. Uh, and, you know, I think it's coaching, you know, but that's something that is hard to catch in models because it doesn't really show up in the numbers. 
I, I think it's also just like an elite run defense. Like their run defense yeah. with Tier Tart, Jeffrey Simmons, Nico Atri, like they have some dogs on the defensive line. I think they're allowing the lowest yards before first contact per attempt. And we know that Aaron Rodgers and this Packers offense who got on their center a lot against the Cowboys, who ran the football a lot, like they need to run the football to have success in my opinion. And I don't think they're going to have it. They're not going to have it. They're going to have to do drop back passing. They're going to have to ask Christian Watson to have another big game. Sammy Watkins, they just cut Amari Rodgers, who's now off the team after following that. But like, I, I think the Packers are going to have to throw the ball more than they want to and be in obvious passing situations more than they want to. And that's enough for the Titans to seek in here. Yeah, I will want to pay attention to the injury report because they had a lot of defensive linemen, uh, a lot of just defenders in general injured in week 10 on the shorter turnaround. Uh, I would expect that not all of those guys are able to suit up Jeffrey Simmons. That'll be a big one. Uh, you know, if, if he's out with the ankle injury uh, that does, I think lend some uh, credence to the idea that it will be easier to run against the, uh, the Titans. All right, Austin, it has been awesome having you on the show. Uh, tell everybody, you know, where they can find you on social and the stuff you have going on at the ringer. Yeah, absolutely. Check out TheRinger.com. Obviously, a lot of content coming out there. I write a power rankings file every single week. Also podcasting on the Ringer NFL feed on Tuesdays and the Ringer Gambling Show feed on Wednesdays and Thursdays. You can follow me on Twitter at Austin Gale, A-U-S-T-I-N-G-A-Y-L-E underscore. Matthew, always a pleasure. This was uh, fantastic. I'm excited for this week. All right, awesome. That's Austin Gale. I'm Matthew Friedman at Matt F. The Oracle. Check out Betting Pros and Fantasy Pros for all my work. Best bets, player props, fantasy favorites, player projections and rankings, and more. And that's going to do it for this Week 11 Market Movement and Power Ratings edition of the Betting Pros Pod. If you like the show, please rate and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in. Good luck, and see you next episode.